I want you to open your Bibles tonight to the book of Revelation. Mary moves over. That's good, Mary. <laughs> it's a little bit closer to the front. Open your Bible to the book of Revelation, chapter 2 again. We've come to this place um, in the scripture that we, we left off with the church in Ephesus. And now we find ourselves in the church with the church in Smyrna. Can anybody tell me, anybody here have a Bible that has the words of Jesus in red? Yeah? A lot of you? Okay. Chapter 2. What color do you see the most? You see red. It's pretty much all red, right? It's because this is all Jesus talking. This is going to be real easy for me to preach tonight. I'll tell you why. Because Jesus is doing all the talking here. This is not anybody's opinion. This is, there's not a whole lot we need to, to, to change. We're just going to let Jesus talk, right? And you know what? I, I think it's, it must have been so wonderful for these churches to receive a letter from the king. Now, we all have received a letter from the king, haven't we? Right? Wouldn't it be cool to, to, to have somebody show up at your church and say, oh, Jesus wrote you a letter. And you say, well, didn't he write us all a letter? I love letter. No, he literally wrote you a letter. He, he addressed it to the church in Smyrna. Wow. The church in Smyrna had some unique, uh, unique challenges. Um, and and it, they weren't the only ones to face it, but they probably faced it to a greater degree than a lot of other churches. So as we look through the seven churches um, that Jesus writes a letter to in, in the book of Revelation, um, Philadelphia was a pretty good letter. Philadelphia, he didn't have, he really had mostly good things to say about them. But Smyrna was the one that was nothing but good things that he had to say to them. But just because it was nothing but good things doesn't mean it was an easy letter. Because he's also telling them about some things that are going to happen, which aren't going to be super easy. But he's, a, he's affirming, I'm with you here and I'm alive. I'm the resurrected king. There's nothing that can touch you. In fact, I've got good news for you tonight. The good news is there is nothing in the world that can ever separate you from the love of God. The good news here is there is nothing that the enemy has in his arsenal which can stop you from being who God created you to be. There's nothing that can tear away the treasure within you. You have a treasure inside of you that the enemy can't touch as hard as he tries. We're about to see that with Smyrna. We've read that before when we went through First and Second Peter. You know, Peter talked about that quite a bit. He talked about the fact that, that the faith within you is more precious than gold. And that even when there's like the fire of, of, of something pushing and pressing and, and the tribulation around you, he says, it still can't touch that faith within you. So he says, at the end of the day, people are going to be glorifying God and you're still standing. Ephesians 6 and we've talked about this before, but Ephesians 6 says three times you will be able. You will be able to resist every attack of the enemy. You will be able to stand firm in the evil day. You will be able to quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. There is nothing that the enemy has that you will not be able to stand under. That's good news. I've told you guys, see, see this message to Smyrna is going to talk a lot about some tribulation and some persecution because that was the reality I, I've told this story a bunch of times here at this church of how when I was a kid, I, I tortured myself, not, not because I f liked it, I didn't like it, but I tried to see how much pain I would endure because I thought someday I may be tortured for Jesus. 
So I would take pliers and I'd, I'd, you know, try to hurt my fingers and see how much I could take. And it makes me sound like a really weird kid and you don't want to leave your kids around me. I get it. But I, I grew up, all right? My thought was I grew up reading these stories of missionaries and, 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 and I somehow had a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs somewhere. And, and so I read about these guys that died for Jesus and I, I, I think my greatest fear, not fear, but the one concern I had was what if that happened? Would I deny Jesus? We had, um, we had a video library back here. And uh, Mrs. Freeman had, had recorded a, bu- a bunch of, had a bunch of videos, put a bunch of videos in there of Gospel Bill. I don't know if you remember Gospel Bill, but I loved Gospel Bill. Liberty and I would be here in the summertime while mom and dad would be working at the church. We had nothing to do. So we would go get the videos and we'd watch it. We used to have this projector downstairs. I don't know if you remember the projector. Some of you have been here for a while. That, that great projector would be on the wall. It was like the coolest. It was before big screen TVs were a thing. So we were just like, I mean... I secretly just wanted to hook up Mario to this, but instead we, we watched Christian movies. And one time, I, you know, one time we stumbled upon a video that was mislabeled. Or I think it was is labeled right, but it was filed in the wrong spot. And we thought it was gospel bill. Well, it turned out to be one of those tribulation rapture movies that really became popular in the 80s and 90s. And uh, like the opening scene was a lady getting her, you know, like at a guillotine with her head about to be lopped off. And me and my sister just were like staring at the screen. We were way too young to see that. And I just kept thinking like, okay, would I give up before that moment? And I've told you this before, but it bears repeating. I came to discover this. I come to believe this with all my heart. Because I started to notice the people, and maybe you've read, uh, I don't know if you know about the publication, The Voice of the Martyrs. It's an organization that talks about people, even today, that are being persecuted or killed for their faith. And it's happening all over the world. But I started to notice little girls who would die rather than spit on their Bible. I started to notice disabled people who were... uh, who are stronger than, 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 than any, any guy who's been working out all his life. I started to notice people that you would have thought might have cracked, old men and women, young men and women, standing firm in the midst of persecution. And, and I remember thinking, this has nothing to do with their willpower or how strong they are in the flesh. Something's keeping them in that hour. And I came to understand that it wasn't my strength that would keep me if I was ever tested in that way, which I don't know if I will be. But if I was ever tested with facing death or torture or whatever, I came to understand it was God keeping me. It was him holding on to me, not me holding, merely holding on to him. In fact, it was his strength within me that was going to keep me in that hour. And you look back and that's what Jesus said would happen. In that hour, I'm with you. In that hour, I'll give you the words to say. So I stopped testing myself to see how much pain I could endure. And I started just trusting Jesus would keep me. Right? This faith inside me is real. This faith inside me is real. So he keep me. This is what Jesus says to Smyrna, a church in the first century. It says to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this. The first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. Let me pause for a minute and say, if you were experiencing great persecution, 
If you were afraid for your life, wouldn't it be comforting to know that he's the first and the last? He's already seen all this. And he's not worried about you. Wouldn't it be comforting to know that it says he was dead or literally he became dead. He became dead. There was a point where he was killed. He was murdered. But now he is forever alive. Wouldn't that be a comfort to you? You know that, that hang on. This isn't the end for me. Yeah, hang on. Jesus is the same Jesus that I've been worshiping. He knows what I'm dealing with here and he's not afraid. He stands with me. He says this, I know your tribulation. This word tribulation literally means to be pressed, to be crushed to the point of, of, of feeling like you can't take it anymore. But the truth is they did. They, re they remained. They were not crushed. You guys remember what Paul said to the Corinthian church. We are pressed on all sides, but we are not crushed. No matter how hard, because this is what tribulation is. It's an attempt to press you beyond what you can handle so that you give up, so that you quit. But Paul says no matter how hard they press, they cannot crush us. Amen. We might be perplexed, but we are not abandoned. We may be struck down, but we cannot be destroyed. No matter what the enemy tries, don't you realize it must be the most frustrating thing in the world? He is the wily coyote firing nukes at Roadrunner, and Roadrunner's still there. Yes. <laughs> no matter what he fires, this church is still there. Amen. See, Smyrna was an ancient city. It's, it's, it's now Izmir in Turkey. I can see everybody going, oh, Izmir, I know the place. Yes, I... <laughs> Izmir, of course. Now, Smyrna is an ancient city, and in fact, it was, I mean, it was around hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. It, at some point, was destroyed, fell into disrepair, and the story goes that Alexander the Great came upon it in his uh, journeys as they were conquering the known world at the time, and he went up to go hunting amongst the ruins, which had become overgrown, and, you know, all this vegetation had grown around it. He went to go hunting, and he went to sleep uh, near an old, you know, old ruins of a temple, and uh, he dreamed in the temple that he saw these goddesses, which he thought were uh, part of, of the this mother goddess, Sibele, and so he, he saw this dream and he figured, I, I'm supposed to rebuild Smyrna. So he began to rebuild Smyrna, and even when he died, the work continued. And it was also the, the, because of that, that the religion or cult of Sibele was well practiced in Smyrna, which led to a lot of their issues and a lot of their biggest problems because it was such a perverted religion. It was a perverted cult. It was something that, that celebrated, I'm not going to give you all the details because we don't need to say things like this in church, but it, because of, of the story of Sibele, this mother goddess that they believed in, um, it, her story was a story of castration. So, the men, that, so the, the, the priests or priestesses in this temple were all men that had self-mutilated themselves and now were living as women and, um, and, and, and were known as oracles that they, they believed they were hearing from the gods. And there was very perverse things happening every day at this temple. And this was happening, this was like the main religion of Smyrna. Of course, the main religion would have been the paganism of Rome and Greece, but this was the main goddess that they worshipped and had temples to her all over the place. Uh, it was a coastal town. You'd pull up, you'd 
Come on a boat, you arrive, and immediately you're greeted with the bathhouses. You're greeted with the, the arches and the colonnades. And uh, prostitution was huge in this city. So, it was, it, you know, and many of these prostitutes wasn't their choice to be prostitutes. So there was slavery taking place. This was a lot of these things happening that turned it into a place that once again was not always a, a bright place to be. They had a stadium there that was well known for um, putting criminals to death um, by animals or gladiators, prisoners of war, fighting each other. So it was a place that honored a lot of things that God did not honor. So the Christians of the day withdrew from some of those main social activities. So one of the main social activities, you would go to the theater or the stadium to see what was happening. But at the stadium, they're killing people for fun. Or they might put on a play that glorifies their false religion, their false gods, and, and is lewd and it's crude and it's corrupt. So the Christians said, we're not going. If you were in a Roman community, you'd go to the bathhouses to make social connections, right? This is where you are um, developing business connections. This is where you're getting together with friends. You go to the bathhouses. But the, at the bathhouses, there was a lot of stuff taking place that you did not want to see if you were a believer. There was stuff you didn't want to play a part in, so the Christians didn't go to the bathhouses. If you worked in Smyrna, you would have to belong, almost any trade, you'd have to belong to a guild or it's actually the Greek word for that is the word that we get our word college from. And you ha you'd have to go and belong to this special guild to say, like if you were a construction worker, you went to the construction workers guild. If you're a stone worker, you went to the stone workers guild. The problem with that was, was that these guilds would offer, they, at, at the center of this guild, it's not just business relationships, but also gods and goddesses that they considered the patron of their craft. So there was, a, there was a goddess for this and a god for that. And they would sacrifice to these gods. Well, the Christians said, we're not offering sacrifices to false gods. So they get kicked out of the guilds. But if you get kicked out of the guilds, people don't hire you. If people don't hire you, you're not making any money. So you're poor. In fact, Hebrews tells us, and this wasn't, Hebrews is not talking about Smyrna, but I think something similar happened in Smyrna. Hebrews talks about the Christians at the time joyfully accepting the seizure of their property. We find out in Smyrna that people's property was being taken from them. In fact, they were hit from two sides because the Christians, you guys know, most of the early church came out of Jews receiving Jesus as the Messiah, right? All of our you know, our Savior was Jewish. The, the, all the apostles were Jewish, you know, the original 12. So it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a, a flourishing of a Jewish tree, a Jewish root that, that Jesus was the fulfillment of. And yet a big group of those Jewish people rejected Jesus. And it wasn't enough just to reject Jesus. They really didn't like the Christians causing problems or being around the city that they were in. So they would start riots. They would spread rumors about the Christians. In fact, in Smyrna, we see it's worse than most. Smyrna, God actually, Jesus actually talks about a synagogue of Satan. Satan, that word means accuser of the brethren, right? That's who he is. But it's also, he picked that word specifically because there were false accusations by the Jewish people of the time 
thrown at the Christians of the time. Now, this isn't all the Jews. Thank God. You know, in every, every city where the gospel was preached, when Paul went, it was always preached to the Jewish people first. And many of these Jewish people believed, right? So thank God, this is not all the Jewish people, but there was a, a sect of Jewish people, a group of them, a faction of them that strongly opposed the gospel. And they teamed up with the pagans, the Gentiles of the time that worshipped all these gods and goddesses. You know, Smyrna was the first, one of the first places that persecution of Christians really took off. You know, a lot of people blame the emperors, right? Whether it be Nero or um, Domitian or, or any of those guys, they, they, or Marcus Aurelius later on. They blame the, the, the emperors or the government. But did you know that Smyrna was a great example of persecution starting from the people and the people demanding that their government take care of these Christians. Here are the things that they'd say about them. So Christians were accused of being anti-societal, right? They don't play nice with others. They don't come to our stadium. They don't go to the bathhouses. They don't belong to the guild. So they're just weird. They don't, they don't do everything. They're causing problems in society because they don't participate in everything. Christians were accused of being arsonists because in, when Nero was emperor over Rome, big chunk of Rome burned down. Nero starts getting blamed, the emperor. So he says, we need to shift the blame. He blames it on the Christians. The Christians started the fire in Rome. So one of the first things that they, that Christians in Rome died for was arson, even though they had nothing to do with it. Christians were accused, get this, this was a charge that many of them faced. Many of them died for this charge. They were charged with being atheists. It's ironic, isn't it? Christians were accused of being atheists. Why? Because they denied the gods. They worshipped a different god. They denied the gods. Christians were accused of being, of, of incest because people heard rumors that they have this love feast. What's that about? Well, you know what it is. We have them here now. We get together and we eat together. What's a love feast? Then they hear that they say that they have this brotherly and sisterly love for one another. And you know, a perverted mind always perverts things, yeah? So what does this mean to us? We love our brothers and sisters. We love them as brothers and sisters. But to a perverted mind, oh, they must be doing something behind closed doors. Did you know Christians of the day got accused of being cannibals? Because I heard they get together and eat the body and the blood of something. You know, they're, they're eating people. So these are all things that were actually used as charges against them. Smyrna got it harder than most churches. And I want you to see what Jesus says. I'm going to read the whole thing and then we'll go back and talk about it. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews, but they're not. They are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested. And you will have a tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. To go back and see they're being slandered and, and lied about by those that say they're Jews, but they're not. Then he says, the devil's about to cast some of you into prison. And he says, you'll, you'll be tried for a period of 10 days. 
I don't believe for a second that he's talking about 10 literal days because they were persecuted for a lot longer than that. But if you look throughout history, there were 10 major seasons of persecution in the Roman Empire. That's one interpretation. You can have your own. But likely, these are 10, 10 periods of time in which they were tested. Many of them were thrown into prison. Many of them were killed. He goes on and he says, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. So here in 2017, Lloyd Minster, what in the world does that have to do with me? I'm not dealing with that. Nobody's trying to kill me. The same endurance that they need to stay faithful until death, you need right now to be faithful even when faced with maybe losing your job or maybe losing some friends or maybe having your family turn against you. We know that there's Christians all over the world right now that are facing death for what they believe. So we support them, we pray for them, we give. But the same heart, we have to have the same heart. I will be faithful. I won't, I won't, I won't compromise and turn away from the one I love out of fear for my own life because he bought me with a price. And here's what he says, the one who overcomes because what's overcoming to them? What's overcoming for the church in Smyrna? What does overcoming look like? Does overcoming mean that they take over the government and then they have a Christian utopia? No, that's not what overcoming looks like. What overcoming looks like is that at the end of the day, when all of these darts have been thrown at them, when all these weapons have been used against them, the church still stands and has not left what they believed. He says, those that overcome, I'll give you a crown of life. And you will not be hurt by the second death because see, the death that they're threatening you with is not death at all, is it? They could kill you, but they can't really kill you if you know what I mean. Yes. See, it's the second death. It's that, it's that hell that Jesus came to save us from that he says, you will not be hurt by what really is, is, is damaging. You're not going to be hurt by the real death. You're going to be saved from it. I, I want to remind you of something that he says later in Revelation. There's this picture of a dragon that comes and, and he comes to devour, um, first of all, to devour Jesus, devour the child. But then later, um, he comes to destroy the church. And there's a statement that's made by the angel. And, and he says this, he talks about um, the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down. And I want you to read with me. What he says, because we're talking about overcoming, aren't we? Yes. I want you to know you can overcome in persecution. You can overcome in the midst of some pressure, right? There's not, there's not any amount of pressure on the outside which is stronger than the pressure that's coming from your inside. The pressure that's inside of you is a lot stronger than any pressure on the outside of you. That's why you may be pressed but never crushed. Amen? I want you to have confidence in this. Too many of us are walking around with fear. Well, I don't know what I'd do if I, yeah, you may not know right now, but I'm, I'm here to promise you, if your hope is in the Lord, if your faith is in him, there's not a bit of pressure that can get you to deny your Savior. Amen. Here's what he says. Revelation chapter 12. It says, now, 
Verse 10, then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they, who's they? That's the believers. That's God's people. They overcame him. They overcame him, not because they, they had more guns than him. They didn't, overcome, they didn't overcome him because, you know, they just got the right guy in office. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Now, first of all, the blood of the Lamb means the reason I overcome is not because I'm a strong person or I'm a good person. The reason I have already overcome is because I belong to Jesus and Jesus has overcome. Amen? His blood has purchased me. His blood has cleansed me. And so the enemy, what did Jesus say? He said, the ruler of the world is coming. He said this right before he was crucified. He said, now the ruler of this world is coming, but now he has been judged. He's coming, but he has nothing in me. Yeah. He's just told his disciples, I'm about to die. But here's the good news. The devil has nothing in me. <laughs> He's going to do his best. He's got nothing. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. They knew who they were. I am not my own. I belong to a greater one. And the word of their testimony. Now, thank God for... We, we, we use the word testimony a lot of times to tell about your story. And I believe that's part of this. You know, your story of saying, this is who, where Jesus got me out of and this is who, where he took me. This is what Jesus has done for me. That's, that is part of this. But testimony is really anything you say or you confess about him and about yourself. Right? So testimony in court is you being a witness to something. So testimony for me is I'm a witness to something. I'm a witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You may say, no, I'm not. I wasn't there. You were there. Amen. You were crucified with Christ. You were raised with Christ. So your testimony is, here's who I am. Here's who he is. And here's who you can be in him. Amen. Why is your testimony so important? Why is the blood? Of, because how is, the, how is the devil attacking these people? Accusing them. Yeah. Yeah. He's accusing them. You see, if the enemy can't destroy you through brute force, I wonder if he could destroy, get you to give up what God gave you, get you to give up where God called you, what gifts God put inside you. I wonder if he could get you to give all those things up by accusing you and putting you back in a position where you forget who you are in Christ. So you go back to a reality before the cross where you were rightfully guilty. But now, the Bible says Jesus took away the power from him who had the power of death over you. He's got no right to accuse you anymore. Look, this is the same serpent that was in the garden. Lying, deceiving. But the serpent in the garden has now become a dragon. Right? He's grown. But they overcame him. Yes, they did. They overcame the accuser by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And what's the third part? They did not love their life even when faced with death. What does that mean I don't love my life? In, in our modern English, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Of course I love my life. I love my family. I love my kids. But love my life means 
Jesus said, you can't love anything more than you love me. So to love my life means it's the most precious thing I have. These guys said, my life is not the most precious thing I have. Jesus is the most precious thing I have. You can take away this stupid body. It's going to die anyways eventually. But you can't take Jesus from me. So you can threaten me with death, but there is a death that I'm not threatened with. There you can threaten me with stopping this heart from beating, this brain from working. You can lop my head from my body, but nothing changes. I belong to him. That's how they overcame. They were not crushed. They were pressed. They were not crushed. They were perplexed, but they were not abandoned. They were struck down, but they were not destroyed. There was a great man who lived in Smyrna. One of my favorites. Out of like the non-Bible guys. Like the next generation. So if there was a TV series that said the apostles of the next generation. <laughs> Names would pop up like Polycarp and Ignatius and Clement of, of Antioch. These guys are Clint Clement of Rome, sorry. These guys would pop up. You may not have heard some of these names, but these are really cool guys. There was a man named Polycarp who was one of John's disciples. And Polycarp was really young when John first moved to Ephesus. I think John moved to Ephesus when Polycarp was about two years old. But by the time that John was arrested, John was arrested about 100 AD. Polycarp was older by then. And um, they actually had developed kind of a friendship. In fact, they, they had known each other for 20 years and Polycarp was raised up as one of the, one of the next guys John was raising up to, to, to be one of these leaders in the next, next generation. Ignatius was another guy. And Polycarp actually settled in Smyrna, became a pastor in Smyrna, probably was a pastor when this letter was written, and later became the bishop of Smyrna or the overseer of all the churches in Smyrna. Polycarp died in Smyrna because he was put to death by the same, in one of these persecutions that Jesus is warning about. Do you know, all throughout the New Testament, starting from the Gospels and moving through the epistles, especially the last few letters, God warns his people, be ready because this is about to happen. God never lets you be taken off guard. He prepares you. Jesus said, this is what they'll do. Don't you worry. In fact, what does he say? Take courage. I've overcome the world. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. Be of good cheer. Take heart. I've overcome the world. Peter says there's, there's something about to happen. He says, but don't be a surprise when this fiery ordeal comes upon you as if something strange were happening because don't worry, they did it to Jesus. They'll try it with you. But your faith is more precious than gold and at the end of it, you'll still be standing. Even if they kill you, your faith is remaining. So, Jesus is warning the church. Why? Because is, is Jesus that much of a downer? No, he's warning them to get them ready. See, why, was, why did he say, and we might talk about some of this next week, but why did he talk about them? He says, I know your poverty. In fact, that word poverty is not the same word for poverty that's used in a couple other places. It's a word which is reserved for the deepest, most abject poverty, like destitute, like you don't have anything left. 
And they weren't poor because they just had bad jobs because there was another word for people that were poor in society. There was another word for that. It was not used. This is a word which, which means like stuff was taken from you. You had nothing left. This was because of the persecution. It wasn't just because a bunch of people who didn't have money got saved. It's just talking about people took stuff from you. And then he goes on, he says, I know your poverty, your abject poverty, your destitution. He goes, but you are rich. And the word for rich there is not just a word that means you're doing all right. It's fabulously wealthy. Exactly. That's the one. Helps to have Greeks in the congregation. So we're talking about, he says, I know when everybody looks at you, they see abject poverty because they took your land. They, they took away your jobs. And you say, we're not doing so well because of the persecution. He says, but you are fabulously rich in me. What I've given you, they don't know it. What I've given you is far greater than what they took away. You have me. You have a treasure within you. See, he's reminding them what matters. When they know this, take away anything. You can't take anything from me that, that really matters. The pig just wants corn, but the, the human will take the pearl because the pearl is worth far more. Right? So, you know, he says this, I know your poverty, but you are rich. You're, you're very rich. I was telling you about Polycarp. I want to read you what, um, this is a Eusebius, uh, early church historian, uh, third century. And he wrote from church history. In fact, he wrote uh, from a letter that was written um, uh, earlier to the church in Philippi about how Polycarp died. Polycarp, like I said, had become the overseer of all the churches in Smyrna. And by this point, Smyrna was under, as bad as the persecution was when Jesus wrote, it got worse. Remember, they have 10 seasons of this coming. Ouch. But they stayed faithful. They stayed faithful. And Polycarp was one of John's young disciples. And he became an old man. When he was 87 years old, um, they found out where he was. Um, and some of his church members convinced him to go into hiding for a little bit because the heat got turned up. And so he went out in this place in the country uh, but the, the, the authorities at the time seized two slaves and tortured them and found out where he was. When they showed up, Polycarp <laughs> tells, the, tells his friends to go make food, puts out food, puts out drink, and says, hey guys, come on in. I know why you're here, but let's eat together first. Offers them some food and drink. Uh, I don't know if they ate it or not. All I know is that they eventually arrested him, took him, and took him to his death. Here's what it says. I want to read you this from, from Eusebius. After they ate that food, finally he finished his prayer. And remembering all with whom he'd ever come into contact, small or great, famous or obscure, with the whole universal church throughout the world, when the hour for departure had come, they set him on a donkey, and they led him into the city on a great Sabbath. Herod, the chief of police, obviously a different Herod than the ones we see in the Bible, Interesting, these Herods never turned out to be good guys. Why is that? <laughs> Herod, the chief of police, and his father, Nicetes, met him and transferred him to their carriage. Sitting beside him, they tried to persuade him, what harm is there in saying Lord Caesar? Why can't you just say Lord Caesar? 
What's the harm? And sacrificing, and so be saved. At first he did not answer them, but then they persisted, and he said, I will not do what you advise. Threats now replaced persuasion. They ejected him so quickly that he scraped his shin in getting down from the carriage. But he walked on briskly to the stadium as if nothing had happened. There the noise was so great that no one could be heard. When Polycarp entered the stadium, a voice from heaven said, Be strong and play the man, Polycarp. Can you imagine hearing that from heaven? Be strong and play the man. Okay. No one saw the speaker, but many of our people who were there heard the voice. As word spread that Polycarp had been arrested, there was a tremendous roar. When he approached, the proconsul asked him if he were Polycarp, and after he admitted it, he tried to dissuade him, saying, Respect your years. Swear by Caesar's fortune. Recant and say, Away with the atheists, because remember, the Christians were being accused for being atheists. So the man says, Say, Away with the atheists, you know, and, and, and recant. So here's what Polycarp did. But Polycarp swept his hand across the crowd, and he sighed, and he said, he looked up to heaven and cried, away with the atheists. So instead of motioning towards his Christian brothers and sisters and saying away with the atheists, he turned towards the pagan crowd and said, away with the atheists. Because he knew, I believe in God. I'm not the atheist here. But Polycarp, he said away with the, but the government, governor pressed him, take the oath and I'll set you free. Curse Christ. But Polycarp replied, Sorry, I said he was 87, he's 86. For 86 years, I've been his servant. And he's never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? But when he persisted, swear by Caesar's fortune, he replied, if you suppose, and Polycarp replied, if you suppose that I could do this, pretending not to know who I am, listen carefully. I am a Christian. And if you wish to learn the teachings of Christianity. Choose a day and you'll hear them. The proconsul replied, persuade the people. Polycarp responded, you would be worthy of such a discussion. For we've been taught to render appropriate honor to rulers and authorities ordained by God if it does not compromise us. As for the people, I don't feel a defense is appropriate. The proconsul said, I have wild beasts. I'll throw you to them if you don't change your mind. Call them, he replied. For we cannot change our mind from better to worse. But to change from cruelty to justice is excellent. Again he countered, if you disregard the beasts, I'll have you consumed by fire unless you repent. But Polycarp declared, you threaten a fire that burns for a time and is quickly extinguished. Yet a fire you know nothing about awaits the wicked in the judgment to come and an eternal punishment. But what are you waiting for? Do what you will. What I didn't tell you is that Polycarp had a dream right before, the, three days before this. He, he had a dream, well actually he was praying, sorry it wasn't a dream. He was praying and he went into a, into a trance and saw an open vision. And in that vision, he saw himself laying his head on a pillow of fire. He came out of the dream and he goes to his friends. He goes, I'm going to be burned. So when he went, see God prepared Polycarp for this. See we serve a God that delivers as well, right? Jesus walked through the crowds when they tried to throw him off a cliff, right? But when the time came to lay down his life, he was not afraid. Paul was stoned to death. 
Disciples gathered around him, raised him back to life. He goes back in the city and preaches, right? But when it came time to give his life, he was ready. God prepared his people. Peter had escaped death time after time after time. And the last time when he's going out of Rome, he sees Jesus walking the other way. He says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says to him, I've come again to be crucified. Peter turns around and goes back home and waits for them to arrest him because he knows this is the time I've come to die. They were not taken off guard by their deaths. Jesus said to the people who came to arrest him, you can't take my life from me, but I'll lay it down freely. I want you to know the enemy did not win when Polycarp died. Just like the enemy did not win when Jesus died. Just like the enemy did not win when Stephen died. Because when Stephen died, he was the first martyr. And it set off a great revival where even the apostle Paul got saved because of that man. Right? These guys, were, he was an old, Polycarp's an old man. Just like Peter was an old man. Just like, I mean, not all of them lived to be old, but a lot of them did. And by the time they got to the end of their life, they had a choice. Do I just kind of wither away or do I preach one last major sermon? It's going to be an object lesson. How much I don't care if you kill me because I'm going to a better place. (laughs) These guys had an effect. Jesus says, if you be faithful until death, be faithful until death and I'll give you a crown of life. There's one other time this phrase crown of life is used and it's when James says if you'll endure under various trials you'll be given a crown of life. It's known as the martyr's crown. I want you to know that if we'll refuse to compromise who he is like Polycarp refused to compromise the Lord will strengthen you in the hour of testing like he strengthened Polycarp. You see, that voice from heaven said, be strong, Polycarp. And you might think that's just reminding Polycarp to be strong. But I think if God said it, his words create things. And when God said, be strong, strength came to Polycarp. See, when God said, be strong and courageous to Joshua, strength and courage came to Joshua. When Jesus says, take heart, be of good cheer, take courage, I've overcome the world. Courage, enter the hearts of those that would receive his word. See, this word has prepared you for anything you'll ever face in your life. Be faithful, receive your crown, and you can't be touched by the second death. You have a treasure that the enemy can't touch and he wishes he could. He wishes he could and he tries everything to destroy the church. The church has never been destroyed. Under great persecution, it only comes out even stronger. You cannot be crushed. You might be pressed, but you can't be crushed. Hold fast to the word of life. Don't compromise. Listen, lots of the church's problems started in Smyrna when they stopped participating in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead exposed them, like it says in Ephesians 5. But that's not a reason not to do it. Right? Right? You know, they could have avoided all this persecution if they just got along. But then they would have lost the saltiness. That Jesus said, if you lose your saltiness, what good is it? Right? The church in the 21st century can escape persecution. There's a great path to escaping persecution. And it is compromise, compromise, compromise. 
And if we compromise, 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 no one will ever have a reason to persecute us until there's nothing left but a sign on a door. I'm just telling you, don't be afraid. There are going to be seasons of great victory. Seasons where whole cities come to Jesus. Seasons where people come. Listen, even in the midst of persecution, people were getting saved by the bunch. So listen, I don't know what it's going to look like in 10, 20, 30 years. I just know this. They can't change who we are. And they can't change who Jesus is. So don't be afraid. But take heart. Be of good cheer. Take a lesson from these Smyrnaans who Jesus said, I know what you're going through. Listen, sometimes we think when we're going through something tough, it's proof we did something wrong. What did we do wrong that this fiery ordeal has come upon us? He says, you did nothing wrong. You did something right. I'm proud of you. I'm with you. Be faithful and you'll get your crown. Jesus didn't say, here are three scriptures that'll get you out of this mess. My grace is sufficient for you. Keep standing. And at the end of the day, you'll get your reward. Overcome. Overcome by refusing to give up what got you here. You overcome by the blood of the lamb, the word of your testimony. Listen, I don't think you need to wait until somebody threatens your life before this message becomes relevant to you. Know what I mean? There's highly unlikely that anybody's going to offer you to a lion. Right? Do you guys see that happening maybe? Probably not. Probably nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to take you to Lloyd Mr. Petting Zoo and say, ha ha, I'm throwing you to the lion. (laughs) You might be faced with death, but the likelihood, the odds are not huge that you will. But listen, if you can be faithful, listen, if you say, oh, I, if somebody threatened to kill me, I would, I would never deny Jesus. I would hold fast. All right, all right. Well, then be faithful in your job. Yeah. When it's unpopular to be a believer, yeah. be a believer. When it's unpopular at, at Christmas dinner with your family who hates what you do, hates what you believe, be who you are. When, it's, when, when, when it feels like, hey, if we would just participate in what the community is doing, no matter what they're doing, then, then people would appreciate us more and they'd love us more. Well, you know what? The church had to withdraw from some things because those things were, were, were not redeemable. There are things that can be redeemed and there's things that shouldn't be. And they said, we're not participating in this. They took a hit for it, but they honored God. Because I'll tell you what was never compromised. They still looked like Jesus. See, if we can look like Jesus, people are going to come to Jesus. Let's never compromise what got us here in the first place. Amen? Like Polycarp said, 86 years I've known him. He's never done anything wrong to me. Why would I betray him now? Like he said to the man, he said, I am a Christian. That's who I am. Never be ashamed of that. I am a Christian. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian, give me a day and I'll tell you. Thank God for people like that. There was another man who was Polycarp's friend would come through Smyrna and visit Polycarp from time to time. In fact, came through Smyrna on the way to his final death. His name was Ignatius. Ignatius was threatened, being thrown to the lions. He said, I hope. He said, when those lions grind me up in their teeth, he said, they're going to find me to be pure bread. <laughs> he, said, he said, I've been waiting so long to see Jesus. If those lions don't come and get me, he said, I'll taught them until they come. Now that sounds a little weird. He just couldn't wait to see Jesus. He said, I'm not afraid. 
I love these old men that are not afraid. Thank God. Lord, teach us what you want to teach us from this. Show us what you want to show us. We, we, we thank you, first of all. We just want to thank you. Can I say something? I need to stop praying for a minute. Can I just say something? People will tell you, pray for persecution, but you'll never find it in the Bible. Can I, I need to say that before we close. In fact, it says the opposite. Paul says, pray for rulers and all those who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. So you don't need to cheer for the other team, <laughs> right? There are, you know, go, go tell somebody who's being persecuted right now that you think it's right for you to pray for persecution. Don't pray for persecution because if, if you were supposed to do it, there'd be a scripture that told you to do it. Jesus says it will come. It will come. You don't need to help it along. It will come. Pray for the church. Pray for, pray for those people around you. Can we go from there? I just needed to say that. I've heard a lot of people say, we need to pray for persecution. Persecution helps the church. Listen, if we were supposed to do it, he would have told us to do it. He just said, you follow me, somebody will hate you. Right? Don't go looking for it. It'll happen. Fix your eyes on me. I'm the point. Right? Persecution is not the thing that refines you. I'm the one that refines you. Right? Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Lord, we come back to you. <laughs> I am so thankful that you put us in a country where we've been able to freely worship you with all godliness and, and, and with a loud voice. We also recognize that there are some tides that have turned. We ask right now for our nation that, that you would revive Canada. We know that Canada has a prophetic destiny. We ask, Lord, that your kingdom come, your will be done right here in Canada as it is in heaven. Use us, Lord. Lord, deliver us from the, 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 the spirit of compromise that says maybe we'll just water down what we believe. Lord, we want to just, we want to be so in love with you that the thought of going any other direction would be abhorrent to us. Let us be so in love with Jesus that we refuse to turn away from you. Lord, I know that some of these people have had a hard time at work or had a hard time with their families or had a hard time with their friends, had to lose relationships because of the stand they took. We know there's honor for them. But Lord, I pray that we would be strengthened in a time of trial, in a time of pressing. We understand that we can't be crushed as long as we hang on to that faith. So Lord, we hang on to you. It's not our strength that'll get us through it. It's yours. You're able to keep us. You said you're able to keep us from stumbling. Jesus, just like you prayed for Peter, that his faith would not fail. So Lord, we, I pray for these people and for myself that our faith would not fail. And that we would strengthen those around us. We thank you for it. May you be honored. You be glorified. We thank you that you have already overcome we stand in your victory and we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.